you have your Bibles, turn with me tonight to the book of Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Chapter 23. Let me ask you a question while you're turning there. It's a rhetorical question. How many of you all know when the fish are biting? How do you know that? Can you tell when you put your line in the water? I know some of you are old-time fishermen, you know. Uh, you used a cane pole. I did as a boy, a cane pole and a heavy line and, and uh, a bobber on there. And... Uh, I'd fish in the Merrimack River and other places, wherever I could. A little pond we had uh, some distance away from where I grew up, and you'd have to walk through farm and fields, and people didn't care. You weren't there tearing up anything. It wasn't our property. It didn't belong to me, and they just let you fish on the pond. It had a bunch of little perch in there, and, uh, and I'd like to catch those fish, and I'd get grasshoppers on the way. That was my bait. And uh, between that and beggar lice, I'd have a good time, all right? You all know what beggar lice are? Some people call them seed ticks. You ever heard that name for them? Seed ticks. And they'd stick all over your clothes. They could even survive going through the wash. And they'd be on there after they'd been hung out to dry. But uh, so we didn't really answer my question. Do you, do, can you tell when the fish are biting? Do you know certain things that are happening? Yeah, I, you know, I learned to fly fish when... I was in Alaska, and, and uh, that was a great experience, fly fishing. Uh, I got the fly rod. I think I got it in the middle of winter, and I was out in the backyard in the snow. I mean, I grilled, and it was about 20 below zero. It's hard to grill. It takes a little longer. But, uh, but, uh, but I, you know, I just wasn't going to let the snow and the cold stop me. And so, uh, but I learned to fly fish, and you learn with a little wisp of cotton. Just take a little tiny piece off of a cotton ball. Tie it on the end because a fly weighs hardly anything. You're not, you're not casting the fly. You're learning to cast the line. And, uh, and so I would fish for Arctic grayling and I would have to watch the line as that, as that fly would be out there and have to watch the line from there. So there were certain indications that business was about to pick up. And, uh, and so that leads me to the question, when is a person ready to be saved. Can we know that? Didn't Jesus say that I will make, a, he said of those disciples, I will make you what? Fishers of men. So can we tell, can, can we tell when someone is ready to be saved? And I submit to you, we can. Just, just as you can tell when the fish are biting, when you know that there's a little bit more activity and you got to pay attention, you can't be distracted. It's not time to be looking away. It's a time to keep an eye on the bobber, right? Or on the line or whatever it might be, feeling the tension on the line and feeling the nudge or whatever. And so too it is here in the Word of God. And there are some indicators, and I want to look at those tonight. Look with me, please. Luke 23, Luke 23. Look there with me in verse 27. We're going to skip through a few verses here and get to where we want to go. But I want you to see this. Luke chapter 23, verse 37. And there followed him a great company of people, not speaking of the Lord Jesus. You know, he's about to be crucified here, the context of our passage. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. Then look down at verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, 
there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now, if you'll go to verse 39. And one of the male factors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Verse 42, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So let's pray once more. Father, thank you for this account, Lord, of what transpired. A special conversation indeed, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that it's been recorded for us here. We have the facts. And I pray, Lord, that we might peer into this time. And, Lord, that you'll instruct us and help us tonight, we pray. We need the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide tonight. And I need him to empower me, to to help me, Father, to guide me, Lord, as we teach this passage. And we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. You know, there are a lot of books that are written about harvesting. You know, you can go to the average Christian bookstore and you see a lot of books on soul winning. You know, that's what we call it, soul winning. The Bible refers to it that way. The book of Proverbs says that, uh, that he that winneth souls is wise. And that winnowing, and that, uh, that's the, because you are in kind of a contest there. You think about the winnowing. You're separating the chaff from the wheat, the husk from the real fruit or, or the real the real valuable part of the grain. And so, and so we are, we are, he that winneth souls is wise. And so because there are so many books, there's probably an equal number of opinions about soul winning, right? And, uh, and because of that, uh, you know, there are terms that are out there today that are used in some of our circles, like the term easy believism. How many of you have heard that term, easy believism? Well, you know, I understand that, but is it easy to believe? It, 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 it really is, you know. That's actually the easiest part, I think. It's the getting lost part that people struggle with and have a hard time with. And then there's, other, there's another example. It's called lordship salvation. Lordship, have you ever heard that? Lordship salvation. And, uh, and that's a feeling or a, a, or a thought or an opinion about some of these things that Jesus Christ doesn't really become Savior until, they, until you recognize His Lordship or make Him Lord. And I submit to you, we don't make Him Lord. He already is the Lord. And, uh, and so they're, they're, they're just, you know, I, I just know this. The Bible declares that salvation is of the Lord. Amen. All right? That's plain and simple. It is a work of the Holy Spirit to convince to convict and to convert sinners by the washing of regeneration uh, according to as, as what Titus wrote. So let's look at some evidence of his working. Amen. And I think it'll take the opinion out and we can look at the facts. Facts are always helpful things. And so when is a person ready? When you, I mean, I know that you have dealt with other people. You have spoken with other people about their soul. 
And can you tell when, when the fish are biting? When they're interested in what, you're, in what you're telling them? Can you tell the difference? Because there have been some people who have forced other people to do some things. And is it possible, can you pick green fruit when you're, when you're making a pie? Can you? You can pick it, but what's it going to do to the pie? It may not be very good, all right? And you can force it, you can jerk it, you can snatch it off of whatever, pardon me, whatever plant or bush or wherever you're trying to gather it. But it's a blessing when you go up there and, man, the berries just fall off in your hand. And why? Because they are ripe. And that's how the Lord described them, ripe unto harvest. Remember, there in John's Gospel, so let's look at some things. How do we know when a person is ready to be saved? Well, there's some things that we can know. I want you to see, first of all, look there with me in verse 39 and 40. It says, And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art, also, that seeing thou art in the same Condemnation. One of the very first indicators that a person is, is getting near to that place of salvation is when their fear of God brings dread or despair. When this man was hanging there on the cross, like the other one, he was there, his mortality had, had come upon him, all right? And he was thinking about the brevity of his life and what was about to expire. And probably he knew something about how the Romans treated those who were about to be crucified or who were being crucified, about to die. But this, you have to admit, this is a very unusual conversation. Here you have the man in the middle, right? The Lord Jesus. And on one hand is one thief. And on the other hand, on the other side is another thief. One thief says something to him. The bitter thief says to him, If thou be the Christ, why don't you save yourself and us? Save thyself and us. And so we know that there is a crowd that is gathered around there, and there's a lot of different people in that crowd. Some of them are the scoffers. Some of them are the critics. Some of them are the skeptics. He could save others, but himself he could not save. And I mean, there's soldiers there. There's all kinds of things. And you know, uh, just like when there's an accident on the road, I know that we're compelled by the laws in the state of Texas and probably with good sense. What's one of the things we're supposed to do? We're supposed to pull, pull to the side and slow down, right? But what happens in a lot of times, aren't there a lot of other accidents that happen when there's already been an accident? Why? Because you got the looky-loos. That's what we called them in, uh, in the medical. we got the looky-loos. They're, they're busy looking at the wreck. They're gathered to that. They want to see something morbid. They want to see where somebody's had that and then go on about their business. Well, the same thing is true here. They, people came because crucifixion was a, was a common practice amongst the Romans. And so people would gather for these public executions, if you will. And they were, they were long and they were slow because, and you've heard me say this before, a lot of it had to do with suffocation. And we know that in order to speed up the process, because some people, it took them longer to die than others. Maybe they were younger. Maybe they were stronger physically. And the, and the frail already would perish sooner because they couldn't breathe. So they would do what? They would break their legs. And that's why we know when they came to them, they broke the legs of the thieves. When they got to Jesus, they found out that he was already dead. And so like the prophecy, his bones weren't broken. 
But there's a different people that are around the crowd. And if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. So one of these men is in a state of bitterness. He's not in a state of brokenness. There's no fear. He had no fear. He had no fear when he committed his, his act of, of theft. And he has no fear of God now as he is staring death in the face He's exhibiting no fear as if it doesn't matter. He is a person who, if you will here, who is in a state of unbelief. And, uh, and so it makes such a difference. He's bitter but not broken about his, about his situation. David said this in Psalm 36. He said, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. So one of the very first things that happens to, that has to happen is when, when there's no fear, they're not ready to be saved yet. They're not thinking about their own mortality. They're not thinking about having to stand before God one day. Maybe they're ignorant of that fact. And it might be something where you are, where you are, so to speak, preparing the soil. You know, seldom do you just go out to the yard and uh plant something without doing a little soil preparation, right? Sometimes you got to remove the rocks. Sometimes you got to remove, maybe it's some fire ants or whatever that's in the way. You got to clean that stuff up. And so it's not really ready to receive the seed. Maybe it's just as hard as this pulpit right here. It's fallowed and it has to be broken up. Well, that's where this man was. And so he's a person who is not ready, if you will. And because of this, when there was no fear, even though he is staring death, in the face. Now, do you know something? The Bible says that demons teach, or the Bible teaches us that demons have a dreadful fear of Jesus. Do you remember? Do you remember when the Lord was there and, uh, and those demons were there that had cast out of that man the demoniac of Gadara? And they basically said, you know, what, what, have you come, what, what are you here for as the Son of God? Are you here now to torment us? I mean, they had a fear of the Son of God. The Bible says in the book, in the book of, of James, it says that, that they do something that men and women will not do, and that's tremble. The devil believes in God, and he trembles. But there are men and women today that, you know, they're not interested in heaven, and they're not afraid of going to hell. They've watched so much, uh, they've watched so much television about things, that it all becomes just like a myth, just like a fairy tale. And it's not. We know it's not. I know I'm preaching to the, to, the, to the choir tonight. I'm just trying to give you some things that you can see when you're dealing with someone. Is this person on the threshold or is this person still got fallow ground that needs to be broken up? And uh, because, you know, there is, so, there is such a thing. The, the Lord said, be careful about cat pass." Casting your pearls before swine, lest they turn and rent thee. So not everybody that you talk with is ready in that moment to be saved. You know, I, now this is my opinion, all right, at this juncture. I, I'm not much for one that say, all right, if you'll repeat after me. Uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus, you know. No. Would, would, wouldn't you agree with me that people that are thirsty, they know what to ask for? People that are hungry know what to ask for. They do. And, and I think the same thing is true here in this situation. And so uh, I'm not a repeat after me guy, all right? 
just talk to the Lord like how you're talking to me kind of thing. But what I want you to see is that, that, that sometimes there are men and women who, who will not do what even the devils do in the fact that they're not concerned about that. And the Lord Jesus warned them in Matthew 10 and 28. He said, Fear not them which can kill the body and are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so this man, the other man, the broken man, as we look at him in verse 40, death and hell had become a reality to him. He knew what he was staring, what he was looking at. You know, the scripture also says, when a wicked man dieth, his expectation is going to perish. A lot of times they just don't think that anything's going to happen to them. They've gotten away with it down here. They're not worried about life on the other side. They either don't think that there is, they're unconcerned, they're ignorant, maybe uneducated about it, and that's why we have something to tell, something to share. But, uh, but it says that, the, and the hope of unjust men perisheth. You know, I mean, if you just, I don't know how many seconds it was after the rich man died, but it says in hell he lifted up his eyes. And, uh, and so we know that there's consciousness on the other side. There's consequences on the other side, there's confinement on the other side, and there's concern on the other side. And he said, hey, send someone to my, what, my father's house. I have five brethren. I don't want them to come to this place. But we also know for the saved, there's comfort on the other side. And so, so this man here in verse 40, but the other answering rebuked him and says, dost thou not fear God? When a person is beginning to be concerned about their own mortality, when they begin to get concerned about the life that they are living and what they may face when they have to face God, that's a good sign. That's a little stirring of the water, so to speak. And I can't make, I can't make the bobber and the line and everything just be a picture of something. I'm just saying... It's just like when you're fishing for white bass, brother, and you see, you see the water stirred up or you see the birds. There's some indicators. Well, this is a good indicator when a man begins to fear God and it manifests himself in his concern about where he is going to go when he dies. I remember the preacher asked me when he came to my house. He said, do you ever think about spiritual things? And my answer was, no. I didn't. You, and probably, you know what? When, you were, when, when the Lord was getting on your trail, you probably weren't thinking about spiritual things either. You know, I told the group yesterday, I said, a lot of times you think that if you were a preacher, you know, that you just must have been raised special and you were always good to your mother and nice to people and everything. And I told them, I said, don't believe that. That's not so. We were, just, we were just ignorant in our ways, hardened in our ways, and we're not looking for God. And so the Lord had to chip away at those things. And so, so the danger for this man, this other thief that was on the cross, the danger was real. His despair was not imaginary. And, uh, and a lot of times, you know, we live in a society that they're afraid of some things that they shouldn't be. And they're not afraid of what they ought to be. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, people talked about, well, I, you know, I, I'm going to get down there with my friends and I'm going to, you know, we're going to have a toast to all the ones that have gone on before. You know what? That, gosh, there is so much fiction out there. And, and, I think, and I think a lot of self-deception that comes along. 
And so, so this man, he is, he is on the threshold here. He's a prime candidate, if you will, for some of the next things that are going to come. But there must be a fear of God. There must be. And so, and so with that it is something about the Bible. You know, it's hard to reach someone who doesn't believe the Bible is not the Word of God. It's not God's Word to them. And so, so if somebody says, you know, hey, don't, don't bother reading that to me. I don't believe that or whatever. It doesn't mean that you say, well, goodbye, sir or, or ma'am, and just let them go. No, well, let me leave you something. Maybe down the road you might change your mind. Do, do what you can for that person. But, but to sit there and just to try to, try to logically, you're, you're going to argumentatively, like as if in a court of law, and you're going to do that. There's an old saying, it's not in the Bible, but it does say this, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And so, you know, probably if somebody were to come along and try to do that, if, if I didn't just close the door in their face, I might say, okay, what do you want me to do? I'll just do it so I can get rid of you. And there are people that are like that. And so, beloved, we don't want to make it harder for the next time when someone wants to come along. That's why I don't try to, I, unless, I don't try to lead somebody to the Lord sometimes in a, in a cold call. That's what I would call it. I just go and knock on a door. Hey, you know, do you, do you want to go to heaven when you die? Well, who, who in their right mind would say, no, I'm not interested in that. I, I only know of one situation where that happened. There were some preacher friends of mine going to a meeting in the panhandle of Florida. And uh, there was a man out there hitchhiking, and there were three preachers in the car. And uh, this is what I was told by them. And they just drove on past that man, and they said, you know, we messed up. We should have picked that guy up. And so they determined, they said, well, you know what? The next person we see, we're going to pick him up. And, uh, and so sure enough, there was another person there on Interstate 10. They were headed to Florida. And, uh, and so they got there, and, and here's another man on the side of the road and got a bag. And uh, so they pull over, true to their word, they pull over. And uh, they, they let this man in the car, and they're talking with him a little bit, and he tells them their name and everything. And he's had one of those surgeries where he has to, he has to use a, like a little, you know, what is that device called, sister? Yeah, it's some, anyway, it sounds like it's a long word, all right, a transmitter. And, uh, and so he put that up, and then we're talking with him, and, and he wanted to know, well, hey, where are y'all going? And, uh, and he said, and the preacher said, well, you know, we're going to a meeting and, uh, and we're going to go hear about Jesus. And he said, oh, I don't want to do that. And, and, they, and, and so they, they put that thing up there and, he, and they asked him a question. He said, well, don't you want to go to heaven? And he said, no. And they said, why not? He said, God's there. And they said, you mean you don't want to go to heaven? No. And you believe God's there? Yeah, he's there, and I don't want to go. That's the reason why. You know, and so what they do? They pulled over. They said, we're God's men. This is God's car, and this is God's gas. Get out. All right? And uh, I'm, I'm, this was many years ago, okay? I'm just saying that I don't know of many people that would say, well, you know, who here wants to go to heaven? Well, they all would. How many of you all here believe in God? If we went up and down the road, probably, I bet you probably 99% of the people out here would say, yes, I believe in God. And could you probably lead them in something? Yes, but I, and I, but I wouldn't be looking for them on Sunday. Jesus said in John 6, no man can come except the Father draw him. There's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit is working on this man. Though he's right there in that place, Jesus said... That it was the it is the it is the spirit of God, and when He comes, He will judge the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. 
that's what was going to happen. And I think that you say, well, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. I understand, but he was still in the world working. Who was that that was empowering people in the Old Testament? That was the Holy Spirit. And so my point is, is that, is that the Spirit of God has to be at work in the heart and mind of that person. And so it was here, dost thou not fear God? That tells me that he was fearing God. Why? He said, because we're in the same condemnation. He knew he was condemned. That leads me to the second thing. One of the things that you need to know is when is a person ready to be saved? When there, when there is a fear, when there's a fear of God that brings despair, a fear of God about their life. And number two, when their failures are not in dispute. When their failures are not in dispute. Listen to this verse. Look in verse 41. Notice what he said, seeing thou art that we are in the same condemnation and we indeed, what? What's that word? Justly. What that man is saying, he fully understood that his condemnation was just. He didn't say, man, I'm, not, I'm innocent. I didn't do this. This wasn't me. This was somebody else. That's a case of mistaken identity. He said, no, I am here justly. That's a big deal. That is a big deal because most people live in denial. Do they not? They live in denial of their situation. He wasn't in denial about his guilt. Nobody truly comes to Christ without knowing that they are sinners. Well, that sounds like such an old-fashioned word, doesn't it? In this modern society, in the society of no absolutes, gosh, we've gone from... Psh, we don't even like to have two genders. We like to blur the lines on that. Neither male nor female. I mean, it's so clear what the Bible says in the book of Genesis in chapter 2. You know, created he them, both male and female, created he them. I mean, that's a man and a woman. I mean... Everybody knows how simple that is. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> but in today's society, we blur the lines on all that. And so, so, so what is it now? What do we say now? What do people say? They say, well, this is my truth. And, and this is your truth. This, this is truth as you see it. No, that's not how it works. We don't get to decide on that, but that's the world. Why? Because we don't want any absolutes because I don't want to be held accountable for anything. That's a re I, I think that's part of the reason why a lot of the scientific community, again, this is my opinion, a lot of the scientific community doesn't want to recognize that there's a God in heaven. If they did that, then they might realize that they would have to be accountable to Him. And so they just believe that they're the ones that save lives. They're the ones that do all these things. No, if this body hadn't been made in such an orderly fashion, in such a way that they could predict certain things and know what was going to happen without this and without that, had they not learned some of those things, had God not provided those things, they wouldn't be anywhere. We'd still, we'd still be, here, bite the bullet. We'd still be doing those kind of things. Give you a piece of leather to bite on and, uh, and, and then cut you open and, well, let's hope for the best, you know. 
Uh, my point is here is that his failures were not in dispute. He didn't deny what he was. He wasn't offended by what he was. He said, I'm here justly. And when a person recognizes that all sin is against God, go with me to 1 John. I haven't had you turn anywhere. Go to 1 John with me and look, look in chapter 3. I mean, obviously, I think this man understood the principles of sowing and reaping. What does it say? You're going to, you and I, we're going to reap what we sow. Is that not true? If I sow corn, I'm not expecting grapes to come up. <laughs> you know, that wouldn't be too bright. 1 John, look in chapter 3 with me. 1 John chapter 3. And look in verse 4. Thank you for turning. It says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. All sin, beloved, is against God. Whether we do it to someone else or we do it to ourselves, all sin ultimately is against God. And we are sinners because of what we are, not just because of what we do. You're, you're there in 1 John. Turn back left and go to 1 Timothy with me. 1 Timothy and look in chapter, look in chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're talking about when is a person ready to be saved. Number one, when there's a fear of God. They're concerned about where they're going to spend eternity. They've got their own mortality on their life. You know, they're, they're not living in with confusion about the, the great length of eternity and the brevity of life. And they see that it's ending. Like, like grains of sand, you know, in an hourglass. It looks like there's plenty of time, but there's not a lot of time. And when that begins to dawn on a person, they are in a good position for the next things to come. And that is to understand that they are accountable to God for the life and the decisions, the choices that they have made, like those consequences that are on the other side. Again, life is not by chance, it's by choice, not destiny, but the decisions that we make. I asked you to go to 1 Timothy, look in chapter 1, look in verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it how? Lawfully, lawfully. Notice what it says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. That's what the law is made for. That's what it was made for. And so here the commandments came to show mankind how far off the mark they really are. And they didn't say that's somebody else. They didn't say that's somebody else's fault. They didn't say what I had to do, I was compelled to do. I didn't have a choice in this. Man, we always have a choice, do we not? Usually we just did things because we thought it was going to benefit us. And that's just how the world is. And that's why you, I don't expect lost people, unsaved people, unchurched people to behave like Christians. Uh, you know, I, I, I stopped being disappointed in them when I quit expecting more of them than what they were capable of doing. 
Why? It wasn't in me and it's not in them. It wasn't in you either. Now, it was a matter of the choice of our will. I, and I, I just think, sister, I think you part of your testimony when somebody told you about there's none righteous and they showed that to you, it was like, well, that's not so. I am, right? You know, at, at, well, you know, well, gosh, I'm not that bad. I'm not, I'm not as bad as them people out there. I'm not as bad as the guy in town. I'm not like them. Well, the, the Lord doesn't want us to compare ourselves to all of them. He wants them to, us to compare ourselves to his son. And when we do that, what does that do? That puts us all in the same sack. <laughs> We're sinners. And so, and so that's what it is. And so that's why when, you know, sometimes when you're in a crowd of people, strangers are like, and you talk about the word sin, that's just like, sometimes for some, it's just like water off a duck's back. Man, nobody talks about that. I explained yesterday, I said, yeah, you know, we, I said, this book is always relevant. It's always contemporary. I said, I'm going to read out of this Bible. And I said, I know that seems old fashioned, but you know what? I, I know, listen, I said, I know that we don't dress like they did in Bible times. You didn't arrive here in the same means of transportation that they did in Bible times. Uh, you know, we're not living in the same dwellings as they were in Bible times. I mean, look at this place around us. It was beautiful where we were. And I said, but the one thing that has never changed, I said, that's the heart of man. And your heart has never changed. My heart hasn't. Therefore, the Word of God is relevant. And what it's there to show us where we were. And so when a person is willing to look at that and see where they are, even that day when the preacher came and I was rude to him, what did it do? It caused a little curiosity. Hey, I went to the last book of the Bible, of Debbie's Bible. I didn't know the name of the book. I just went to the book and I looked at it because I wanted to say, well, how does this thing end? How's this going to wind up? Yeah, hoo-hoo. You know, I looked at that thing and, man, I got over there and you've heard me say it many times. Uh, you know, my name wasn't written in that book. And what if they're right and I'm wrong? That was God working on me. I didn't know it at the time, but that was Him working on me, making me think about eternity, having put a little fear there. What if that verse is true? That's God working in someone's life. And sometimes there's some indicators when they, when they may come up to you and say, man, I've been thinking about what you said. It just never left me. You know, I, I had a fireman one time uh, tell me, he said, are you trying to force your beliefs on us? And I said, no, I'm in, I'm in fire prevention just like you. And he said, you are. I said, yeah, I'm trying to keep you and some others out of hell. He told me later that never left him. He thought about that a lot. Those men, they got together once and, you know, they were saying, man, Brother Ed's so old, he, he probably knows where the ark is, you know, as if I had ridden on the ark. And, uh, and I said, well, I do know where it is. And they could tell I was being serious. I wasn't playing. And they said, you do? And I said, I absolutely do. I said, in the Old Testament, it was a ship. And I said, everybody in the ship survived the judgment of God. And I said, today in the New Testament times that we're in, I said, the ark is Jesus Christ. And everybody in Christ is going to live. And everybody outside of Christ is going to perish in the judgment. And then I didn't say one more word. And they all just stood around and nobody said anything. And finally one of them said, well, I'm going. I said, well, where are you going? And so we had a conversation and that's what really opened the door. What was happening? God was beginning to dawn on them, their mortality and what was going to happen and that they might have to give an account to him. And so to this man, you know, think about it. The world needs to hear that they are lost and undone. 
that there are no second chances on the other side, that it's in this life. You know, Paul wrote this. He said, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. That is a moral unrestraint, that there's no holds barred. You know, kind of like Katie bar the door. It's kind of what that's like, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And some people might say to you, if you were to tell them about that, that one, you say, they might say, well, you know what, that offends me. And you know what my response would be? Well, good. I know we don't like it, but do you understand that pain is your friend? Now, in the medical profession, it's our enemy, isn't it? We try to reduce pain. We try to manage pain. And, uh, you know, we give medications. It's not eradication of pain, but it's pain management designed to take the edge off so they can tolerate it. But pain is our friend. What's it doing? It's telling us, it's revealing to the rest of the body that something is not right, that something is wrong. And we don't want, we don't want pain. We don't want to have to deal with pain. We don't like pain. I mean, most normal people, all right, we don't like it. But you know what? Pain and guilt are a lot alike. Guilt is something that God uses to reveal that it's not in the body, but rather in the soul that something is not right. And what does the world want? The world doesn't want anything to do with guilt. What did Paul say? He said that every mouth might be stopped and all become guilty before God. But the world doesn't want guilt. And that man on the cross, he understood. He said, I am here justly. My condemnation is justly. In other words, what's happening to me, I deserve. I'm not a victim. It wasn't somebody else's fault. Don't we live in a victim society? Everybody's a victim. It wasn't me, it was them. And, uh, and, and beloved, people like that, when you're dealing with them and they put you off and they put you off and they're not ready. There's no, you, listen, just like in baseball, what happens when you skip, when you, if you don't touch first base and you get to make it all the way around, let's say you knock the ball out of the park and you go around there and you don't touch first base, you hit second base, third base, and man, everybody greets you at the home plate. All oh, they're jumping up and down. You're so excited and everything. And uh, before they throw out the next pitch, the umpire says, play ball. And the, what does the pitcher do? He takes that ball and he throws it right over to first base. He put that first baseman steps on the bag, catches the ball, and the umpire says, they're out. What do you mean? I already ran the bases. Yeah, but you missed first base. That's how baseball works. You say, well, I made it home. No, you didn't because you missed first base. The way, all right? And first base, this man has just touched first base. I'm here justly. I have a fear of God. But I'm here by my own doing. I'm here of my own making. And when people, when people are in agreement about their condition, that it's not somebody else's fault, I'm not a victim, that I'm here because of the decisions I made. Boy, the bobber's starting to move around. They're, they're touching up against it. They've just about done everything but swallow it. So when there is a fear 
of God that brings despair and dread when, there is, when their failures are not in dispute. And the last thing is, is when their faith in Jesus is declared. Notice what it says. Go back with me to Luke 23 and look in verse 41. He said, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. He said, I'm getting what I deserve. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. His faith is declared. You say, what are you talking about, his faith? Think about what he's looking at. Think about who he is looking to. Now the Bible says of the Lord Jesus that his visage in the book of Isaiah says it was marred more than any other man. Do I think that he was recognizable as a man? I think he had been pummeled pretty good down there in Pilate's Hall. He'd had his back laid open. His, of course, his hands and feet are nailed. We, we know that. He had been scourged, all those things, and buffeted. His beard plucked out. They didn't shave it. They pulled it out by the roots. He was buffeted and blindfolded. That crown of thorns was plaited down on his head, those thorns, and they would strike that thing, and it would be, it would be impaling into his skin and beaten up. Here's a man that can hardly breathe. All the phrases are short. And he said, Jesus, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, he's looking at someone who is on the precipice himself. But he expresses some faith. He's looking at a man, if you will, a dead man about to be right there. Now we know that they didn't take his life. The Lord laid it down. But God knew, God the Father and the Son, they knew exactly when to do these things. And so the Lord Jesus, he responds to him. And he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Evidently this man had heard something about this kingdom that was going to come. Jesus, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, will you what? Will you remember me? Boy. We haven't forgot about this thief on the cross, have we? All this time, he's still remembered. He's remembered. He said, today, verily, that means truly, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And so there has to be that faith. And who put that there? I think it's a work of the Spirit of God. The Bible says, for by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I mean, look. Could that, could that guy work? Could he go to church? Could he get baptized? Uh, could he render good deeds and service to others? No, he couldn't. Why? He was nailed there. He was there up on that cross and not able to do those things. But it was simple faith. When is a person ready to be saved? When there is a fear that brings dread and despair in their life. When, when their faults are not in denial, their failings. They don't say this is somebody else that made me do this. I had no control. No, they didn't shirk their responsibility. And he said, I'm here justly because of the deeds that I have done. But this man hath done nothing amiss. 
He had to have an understanding of something about who the Lord Jesus was. And people have to have that. You see, faith is not blind. It's not a step off into darkness. It's a step into the light. And when they have enough information, then they can make a good decision. And then what happened in that verse, the last part is, his future was then decided, wasn't it? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So how, does this, how do we make this story be practical in our lives? Well, when we're dealing with people and maybe they have a question about something and it leads to a little further thing. I remember one time going to a family up in a, a town north of Crot Springs called Melville. And uh, one of the men in the church, we went up there together to meet this family. And uh, we sat down at the table and it was mother and son and daughter. And, uh, and we were sitting there and I sat down and, and uh, they said, uh, the mother said, we want to hear about God. <laughs> that was the way they put it. So somebody was already at work. That somebody being the Holy Spirit of God, somebody was already at work. And so I started in the beginning. I went back, you know, to the garden and things. And I talked about some things there. And the more we discussed about the fall of man, one by one, the mother just began to cry. She spoke Spanish. I understood, uh, oh, Dios. I mean, she was, she was concerned. She began to cry and weep. And then the daughter cried and wept. And then the son. And we're just all around there, man. And all of them got in that night. I'd, I've never had that happen before. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was already there ahead of me. You don't have to wrench it off of the vine. When she said, man, tell me about God. I, I, looked, at, I looked at the other brother there, Eddie Duplichan. I said, man, nobody's ever asked me that before. I want you to tell me about God. And boy, what a time we had around that dining room table. What a blessing that was. They already had the fear of God. They already knew they were guilty. They just needed enough information to be able to place their faith and trust in Christ. That's what this man did. And his future was decided. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And uh, we really can know when somebody is ready, but we've got to be looking we got to be watching for the indicators. You know, it's kind of like, you remember that song says, Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. And that's what it takes. You can't rush it. you got to let, you know, God has His part. We have our part. Remember, one plants, another one waters. But it's God that gives the increase, beloved. God that get, you know some people they treat it like well you know they, they want to put well we had uh, 12 saved you know and uh, two of them were baptized well where were the other 10 and some people play the numbers game and I'm, I'm not into the numbers I want it to be real not for our sake but for their sake I want them to know that they know that they know that they know they've been born again and they can know that we can know that can't we just like I know when one's on the line. <laughs> and I didn't get a limb brim. You know what I mean? That's a stick. For those of you who don't fish very, very much, all right? And I didn't pull up a stick or a stump or a snag or whatever. But I had something there that I could put in the boat and put some meat on the table. And so, beloved, we really can know. We really can know. And so, 
Uh, I, I hope that, that you can take some of these tools. When is a person ready to be saved? You look at these passages. You study them. Look over how, what that man's spirit was like and what his attitude was like and what he was looking to for the future. What a difference that makes. We really can know when they're getting ready. Amen. So keep telling them, keep talking, pour a little water on that seed. Maybe pluck a few weeds out around it, all right? Don't disturb the seed, but just do what you can and wait for God to give the increase. Amen? All right, let's pray.